humor me for a moment. Close your eyes and imagine a geneticist. What are they wearing? What are they doing and where? All right, if your imagination took you to lab coats and beakers, you're about on par with the rest of us. If you look up stock photos of genetic research, you'll see a lot of unidentifiable scientists pipetting some colorful liquid into a test tube, or holding a petri dish up to the light in front of a spotless white background. But not all research is conducted by lab coat-clad, glasses-wearing unknowns. In the summer of 2020, labs once teeming with samples and scientists lay silent and empty, and researchers around the world struggled to find ways to keep going during the pandemic. But for some people, an empty lab was only a minor inconvenience. To do research, all they needed was a laptop and a desk to work on. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Keynotes, a mini-series from the Abstract where we talk to Mac students and professors about their research. For the next two weeks, we're exploring a field of study that most people don't even know exists, a field which toes the line between science and math, a field known as biostatistics. In this episode, we'll talk to a student doing research in this mysterious line of work, and learn how that research could be used to save lives. I'm Katherine Irving, and this is The Abstract. You know, I, I think I, amongst friends, I maintain that I was like a diversity admit, and this will be relevant soon, but I was like a diversity admit for McAllister. Freddie Berrigan is a rising senior applied mathematics and statistics major. You might recognize them from their work on Spaces, which was a beautiful magazine published in 2019 that showcased art, music, poetry, photography, and more from students of color. However, since Spaces has gone on hiatus, Freddie has shifted their focus to a different passion. My GPA wasn't good. <laughs> I, I like got a good SAT score, relatively speaking, but everything else was just kind of like a meh application. Um, and that was mostly because of my math grades. So up and I was like up one level because I did well in sixth grade. And then after that, I was like, you know, I was pulling C's, uh, an occasional D that I like bumped up somehow um, in all of my math classes up until about like, what? It was IB math studies, which if, you know, you're an international baccalaureate student, you know, that's like a joke class. Um, <laughs> and then I took a stats class my senior year and, you know, I walked away out of it with like a really like meh experience. But we did a final project that really, really made me like, you know, stats and what it like kind of does, you know. I've never been great at math. I'm always like, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I always tell the professors coming in that I'm like not an A-plus student when it comes to like actual pure math. But I really like, you know, what science does, what it means for public health, and like how you communicate stats, which is like, I don't know. I think it's its, it's, its own, um, it's its own field with its own like difficulties and everything. And so when I got to McAllister, um, I took like intro to intro calc or, or you know, our, our beginning calc sequence. And 
I took it with Kristen Hasey and she just really made me like it because it was like the first time I felt like supported even though I was like still not doing awesome. <laughs> um, and I really just kind of kept at it and I liked it more than intro chem and which I eventually withdrew. Um, I liked it more than intro chem and I liked it more than my bio, like bio experiences in IB. And I just kind of stuck with it and I found out I really, really liked statistics. Um, you know, I liked it more than the one project I had in high school and, and I've started liking it so much more, um, you know, once I started my research experience at the U, because it was like, oh, this is like how you do it. Like I'm, I'm qualified and I have, uh, I have experience in like a thing that I'm good at and, you know, like the, the outcome is nice. Over the summer of 2020, Freddie worked at the University of Minnesota, where they studied gene expression in various pediatric cancers. I applied to it. (laughs) I found it the day of its final application deadline. So this was because of like COVID. I had another research experience lined up. I was so proud. I was like, oh my God, I got into like this. um, If you're familiar, it was like, it's Cold Spring Harbor Lab in New York. And it's like really, really great for bio and genetics. Um, I was super pumped and then they canceled and I was, I was crushed. <laughs> I like, and I don't, and I mean, and I don't mean that as an understatement. I was like really, really like, oh shit. Um, so I was just, I w- was pretty determined to make the summer something like, you know, with, with some kind of structure. Cause I was like living at home for the first time in forever. And like, it's its own kind of type of shitty, um, family background stuff. Right. And I just, I like needed something, right? I was, I was thinking of maybe taking a calc class or, or just doing something over the summer to, to keep busy. Um, and I just found it on Handshake and I like speed applied and <laughs> did everything I could. And like one, one, I think I remember submitting at like six and I, and I had started around like four and I was, it was just like, I needed to get this. I needed to do something. And um, I was super surprised that they, they called me back because I, I don't know, I just kind of ranted about like, oh, public health is really awesome. I want to do public health, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm really happy that it happened. It, it ended up being an awesome experience. So kind of like along the earlier lines of you, like, being interested in science and in public health, um, like your work has the potential to make such a difference in people's lives. So was there like a research, like a reason that like you have such an interest in public health and like why cancer research or pediatric cancer research in particular, like appeals to you or did you just happen upon it by chance? So I can give the public health answer. Well, actually I'm going to answer the cancer question and pediatric cancer question first, because I was not interested in it in the slightest. Um, I just kind of found like little little parts of the job that I thought were really interesting. Um, so, you know, like the topic of application, even genetics, it's still really not my thing. Um, but I've just kind of found like a lot of purpose that is relevant to what I like about public health um, in the thing. So anyways, to answer the first question, like I knew I wanted to do public health a long time. Um, originally, I was like going to do bio and, you know, like going to do virology and something with microbio or just something, you know, like I was really interested in sickness as it is. Um, and I like, I think I first articulated that I was like kind of interested in survival disparities when I was applying to McAllister and they're like, oh, why do you want to do McAllister? Why liberal arts and whatever? Um, and, you know, it kind of came from a, a, a place of personal experience. Um, I had like, 
not a it's not rare relative to other allergies, but it's like you know I have a, I had a, I had a heat sweat and stress allergy um, that was pretty debilitating. Like my last two years of high school, um, I had family who you know had really severe mental health issues and um, histories of like drug abuse, and you know as a whole, my entire family were like really really poor. And we faced a lot of, like, in the beginning part of my life, we were, like, almost homeless so often. Um, and, you know, like, all of, oh, and then I also have a nephew who had, like, lung disease. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, it was, like, the compounding of personal experiences in the, like, you know, healthcare system as, like, a poor person and also the, like, child of an immigrant family that kind of, like, came together to be like, oh, I care about health disparities. I care about, like, you know, undoing sickness. And I never wanted to be a doctor. That was, like, never, like, my shtick. I, I, don't, think, uh, I don't think medicine is for me. Um, so I kind of relied on, like, just an interest in science. And it took me, ended up taking me to public health. And now, you know, as I'm applying to graduate school, I think I've, like, kind of figured out that, like, A, I want to do statistics, but I want to do the types of statistics you use in, like, public health to study survival disparities. So, um you know, a lot of that can be because of genetics, but I personally am not like um, someone who looks to the biological determinants of health um, when it comes to, you know, race and the stuff that I think is important. Um, just because I don't think it's really, it's really not relevant. <laughs> um, anyways, I just, I, I want to keep going with public health in like the statsy way, but with the specific, you know, um, applied interest in survival disparities. And I, that's why I really liked this, um, you know, cancer research, because we're looking at sex disparities and now we're looking at race disparities and how like those kind of exist um, in pediatric cancer, which I didn't really think about um, ever up until now. that Freddie was a part of had a strong focus on etiology, which is the study of how things are caused. Etiology comes up a lot in the discussion of nature or nurture. That is, whether an illness or behavior was caused by genetics or by the environment the person was raised in. In pediatric illnesses, meaning illnesses in babies or children, Freddie says that the cause is more often nature or genetics. Uh, one of the things that was really shocking when I first started like learning about pediatric cancer was that like the cause or like the the way that it like that a cancer forms um that kind of being like the umbrella definition of like etiology um the way cancer exists for children specifically is really different from how cancers pop up in adults so when we talk about public health and we talk about etiology we're talking about like what what was the risk factor what was like the thing that did it um and with kids because you know they're so fresh and often like straight out of the womb um they don't really have the chance to you know develop um the risk factors and like the exposure necessary to really cause any 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 like cancer so right now the like working working explanation of why kids get cancer just at all um is either because of heredity um and this isn't true for all cancers some some cancers that can be linked to like you know fumes inhaled by the mother when they were pregnant but for most cancers, all we have is like, you know, heredity in the family or just the fact that kids are growing so rapidly in the beginning stages of their life that like, you know, 
mutations and and just cancer esque things happen. Like that's kind of like what what happens when you're when you're growing so quickly. Um, and so my research, it isn't necessarily about the etiology, but we're trying to like work our way around to finding that like cause. Um, my research is understanding how you know cancers might pop up more in male children um, rather than rather uh, more than female children. Excuse me. Um, and more recently, like why um, cancers like pop up in um, non-white children versus white children as well. So there are genes that kind of, uh, you know, protect you against the risk of, you know, contracting HIV because of like some particular surface mutation on a cell. Um, gene expression would tell you like, okay, that gene is overexpressed by this amount. There's like a quantitative value that tells you about like how much, how present a gene is. Um, and that is kind of like the, the baby definition. In my work, what we're looking at is for cancers, um, we have all of these kids of can we, we have this entire sample of kids with cancer um, and we have all of their gene expression DNA and sorry, excuse me, we have all of their gene expression data. Um, so the idea is that if we can see which genes are more expressed in males or females, we can see which genes are maybe protecting them against, you know, the cancer, or maybe worsening their 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 chance of getting cancer, um, and that's kind of you know linking back and maybe confirming at the genetic level why we see a survival disparity. So, for many of the cancers, we already knew there were survival disparities, um, but by sex, and so now we're kind of like doing the genetic component of like why is that? Which gene is more expressed in females rather than males, and why does that gene? And and then the next step is like explaining, okay, why does that gene's expression, like how strong it is in females, why does that translate to females getting the cancer more often or less often? And so we're just still looking at like what is like the genetic dif- what is the genetic difference? And you know, back to the shock, like there we really actually don't know. I didn't realize. I I kind of assumed that like oh, sex differences in like kids would probably be like understood, but. Um, we're just now officially confirming like some um, sex differences in survival or in gene expression for like, you know, a bunch of different cancers. And I think I just kind of came into it at the right time. Right. So then how does your work in statistics and like mathematics sort of apply to this work in particular? Like what specific work are you doing from your side? My work has primarily been like drafting R scripts. So RStudio is like a statistical computing language um, that takes in genetic um, gene expression data and it kind of spits out like what gene is um, overexpressed in this group rather than this other group. Um, You know, and a bunch of other stuff like what are the demographics of the sample? What are like the average ages? Whatever. Um, But the meat and potatoes of like what I do is just you know, for each gene testing and seeing if there's a difference in who expresses it. So um, for the sex differences and the sex differences in this one cancer called neuroblastoma, um, we would go through the entire genome. We would have like 60,000 tests to make. Um, and we would just literally, you know, by raw statistical power, just like seeing if, if there's any differences in all the genes. And we ended up finding a bunch um, and, you know, we're still kind of connecting it to other cancers and, you know, other projects in in the like 
I know, in the, excuse me, <laughs> other projects like, you know, identifying a survival disparity that relies on like this um, entire subfield of statistics called survival analysis, which is just like all about like, you know, the methods we use to find meaningful differences in survival. Like I mentioned earlier, COVID-19 posed a little problem to Freddie's research. As a statistician working in genetics, Freddie could operate entirely remotely and do all of their research from the comfort of their own home. You know, I have the luxury of doing statistics, so it's all really com- com- like computers and stuff. Um, I will say that like <laughs> some of the biggest challenges were just like getting my internet to work with all of the data that we're downloading. Um, and really, I actually a big part of my job was more about like computer science, which I admittedly I'm also not taking enough classes in to like be an expert, but. Um, Basically, the first half was downloading this huge directory of gene expression data, like like huge. It's like, I think it was cumulatively like 10,000 files um, and somehow figuring out how to, how to do that on my own computer and then transferring all that to like, you know, the University of Minnesota servers, <laughs> whatever that fucking means. Oh, excuse me. Um, whatever that means. And... <laughs> um, and so, like, you know, that that first half, that first chunk of my ex- research experience was just like, okay, how do you do that? Like, you know, learning on the job. Um, and that was, like, perfectly fine because I, I could do it on my own. My boss didn't really know how to do it either. Um, so I was just, like, watching YouTube tutorials from, from home and, and, you know, like, foregoing a, a decent schedule between the days and just, like, doing it. Um, and then after that, once we got into, like, the realm of the stuff that my boss really, like, knew about. Um, I just kind of started, you know, playing around with everything um, on my own computer with like test data sets. Um, and then eventually like we went up to the real stuff and that like, you know, that forced my boss to buy me a new computer because my old one couldn't handle all of the data. Um, and, you know, I got some sweet AirPods out of the deals, which I think that was really fun. The, you know, actual experience I think it was nice because I could just kind of take a break. Um, I do think I missed out on like the, you know, the chatting and then the office gossip and like whatever of like, um, you know, an in-person experience, but I'm, I'm still happy I had it, you know, like I made friends with everybody somehow. So you've kind of mentioned briefly that you were taking like your first steps toward a transition, like around the time that you were doing this research, which is sort of about sex differences in cancer. Um, So can you talk a little bit about how like each experience kind of impacted your feelings about the other? Ah, shit. (laughs) I remember asking you to ask me this question and it's still hard. Um, When I I started um, hormone replacement therapy, so HRT, um, I believe the middle of February last year in 20, um, 2020. Yeah. Um, and it was going really great. And then COVID hit and I was doing it from home and that was hard for like different reasons. Um, but when I started this job, I started with like a lot of apprehension, both because like, okay, why can we just like, you know, distill all of the differences between, um, males and females to just genetics, like where is the social stuff coming in? And that's kind of why I was so surprised by this like etiology like issue. Um, And then, you know, the more I like kept learning, the more that my like own understandings of gender changed. So I had always known, well, not always known, that's a little like self, like 
congratulatory for like a four-year-old or whatever. But I had, uh, once I, you know, like got educated around like 11 or 12, I had always known that like sex and, um, sex and gender were not the same thing. That was like immediately clear, um, as soon as I met like trans people. (laughs) Um, and I still maintain that. Uh, I will say that I think studying sex differences has changed how I view sex itself and why it's not like implicitly disconnected from gender. Um, so that, you know, more specifically being like, okay, sex was discovered, like chromosomes were discovered to be like meaningfully different. Um, and we had already known that males and females who presented as men and women often in like the European sphere of, of, you know, biological, whatever, like, I actually don't know, the biological, the European sphere of knowledge or whatever. Um, that, you know, preconditioned kind of changed how we viewed sex, theref- the, like, the, therefore. Um, oh, gosh, I wish I could articulate that one better. Ignore the, ignore the stuttering. Just, like, know that I'm trying to say, like, we already, we had gender before we, like, formally discovered sex. And because of that, you know, our own conceptions of sex have changed. Um, And that was like really clear in this gene expression thing where now we can see people with XY chromosomes who are underexpressing their Y chromosome altogether and having and explain it like um, expressing some type of like androgen deficit, like um, what is it? Yeah, just just trust and say like they do not express their, um, you know, male hormones, quote. as 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 much as other people that i don't know i don't know how to put it it just it made me really it re- it made me more appreciative of the idea of hormone therapy doing something that like is changing my body in exactly the same way that sex like would and you know like having that own control over my own like you know identity and also like material entity is like really empowering. I, I like, I had seen so many things over the summer about how imaginative transness needs to be, you know, how like I need to see myself into some like future and like some future form that like really empowers like my transition going forward. And, you know, looking at the science of sex differences and, you know, more concretely realizing how bullshit sex as like a construct is, um, it just, it made me happier. Um, I was really happy I was transitioning. I was like, at that point, growing boobs. I was getting cute. My skin was looking awesome. Um, and when my insurance, you know, started becoming an issue and getting coverage in California was like a thing because of COVID, um, I think I was more adjusted to that because of what I was like doing at work. You know, I like knew that, yeah, <sighs> yeah, my hormones are going away, but like, it doesn't matter. Like the, the sex itself, that, that shouldn't be the issue. It's all about the presentation and like, you know, what I am mapping onto like my Y chromosome. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that everyone is trans forever and I don't think that we're implicitly born trans, but I think, I don't know. I just, I felt more okay knowing that like I make myself trans <laughs> like I, I am imagining that type of like material body for me um yeah that's a long way winded, winded way of saying like i'm so happy i'm doing sex differences it makes me like so much more appreciative of everything that i'm doing
Freddie mentioned earlier, they haven't always been a star student. But in this research position, they were really able to blossom. It's where I have ADHD, or as my neurologist says, like extremely, <laughs> in those words precisely, extremely indicative, indicative of ADHD, and also what my therapist says. But um, I won't say that like changed, you know, my fundamental science understandings or really whatever, but I was really surprised to like find out how self-directed research is um, and how like awesome that felt like for me as someone who like doesn't really have a schedule and just does everything in one go. Um, Cause I could just like, you know, wake up at two and do everything that I had to do for the week and it was done. And I, you know, like I had struggled with like the, the set schedules that like happen when you go to college, like normally. Um, and then, you know, also with like memory problems that kind of come up when you're, you know, taking math classes and you're trying to remember how you like actually do something. Um, all of those kind of combined into like, I don't know, I rocked it. Like <laughs> there's like no no other way of saying like I was really successful at like doing the stuff that like my bosses wanted. Um, and it was like probably the, f- and and I don't know, it, the, the, the success ended up, the success resulted in like me being called brilliant for the first time in my entire life by like a, like by like a, like not a, I wouldn't say like by a person, but like by a professional, <laughs> like a scientist. Um, and it just, it felt really rewarding to like, I don't know, find a space and find a lab that was so supportive of me and like my needs. Freddie doesn't think they'll ever go back to genetics or cancer research, as it's not something they're very interested in pursuing in the future. But they're really grateful for the experience and learned a lot in the process. The obvious, like, go-to answer is, like, I learned so much about cancer and and biostatistics and genetics or whatever. But um, I really, like, I don't know. I learned a lot about why I like statistics. And also, like, I learned that I'm... I don't know. I learned that it's okay to be more confident in like what I bring to the table. Um, like I just, I feel like more like sure of myself and like what I do and what I'm interested in. Um, and you know, like the next couple steps are just like, you know, taking that sureness and taking that confidence into like grad school admissions and, you know, becoming this like cool biostatistics PhD student who like does survival disparities or something with like, I don't know, like the the goal is maybe like LGBT, um, Q plus, or like, you know, minoritized communities and and like their health um, health needs and and everything. But uh, I don't know. I just I feel more excited about what I'm learning, and I feel like I've taken the time to like I don't know establish that my. F- I'm not going to get a good answer out of that. I just feel, I I feel more happy um, that I like found out I loved research. Yeah. on the abstract, we move further into the biostatistics field and speak with a professor who's made it her career. Yeah, so I think as has been the case in 
Unfortunately, much of medicine, genetics has been no different in the sense that most of genetic studies historically have been conducted in populations of European ancestry. How have non-white racial groups been marginalized in genetics in the past? What ethical concerns come with doing research on people? And how are researchers addressing inequity in the present? Find out next week. This episode was reported and produced by me, Katherine Irving. Our media editor and audio engineer is Corey Suzuki, and our theme music is by The Blue Dot Sessions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Abstract and you want to be part of its creation, reach out to us at kirving at mcalster.edu. Whether you're interested in researching, writing, editing, guest hosting, or literally anything else, we need you and would love for you to join the team. Once again, you can reach me at kirving at mcalster.edu if you're interested or if you have any thoughts about the episode you'd like to share. The Abstract is a podcast from the Mac Weekly, your independent student newspaper. For more news like this, subscribe to our newsletter at themacweekly.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Mac Weekly. I'm Catherine Irving. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>